0: Hey everyone, this is Dallas Goldtooth with the Indigenous Environmental Network and this is Q4 Radio in Chicago. The Mike Novak Show starts in 3, 2, 1,
1: boom!
2: I'm here in New York City and I'm going to do a little experiment. For the next 30 days, I'm going to wear every single piece of trash I create. I'm gonna live just like the average American, creating four and a half pounds of trash per day. I'll eat, shop, and consume, just like the average person does. I won't turn down any trash that's offered to me, from flyers and plastic bags to straws and cups. Why am I doing this? Because trash is out of sight, out of mind. Most of us throw it in the garbage can, and we never think about it again. I wanna know what would it look like to hold on to every single piece of trash I create for an entire month. Live from the Genesis Art Supply Building
3: on North Elston Avenue, just this side of the concrete encrusted banks of the North Branch of the Chicago River, It's the Mike Novak Show, still Chicago's only locally broadcast deep green gardening and environment program, heard every Sunday on Q4 Radio and at MikeNovak.net.
4: Good planets are hard to find, temperate zones and tropic climes, and true currents and thriving seas, wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong goes on and safe sunshine will. Good planets are hard to find.
5: It's a long way to Tipperary. That's why he's riding the megabus.
3: Here he is, Mike Nova.
6: Okay, standing by. Mike's one in what? Three? on? yeah. Three. All right, here we go. One, One more time. time. You weren't even there. You were, No. You, <laughs> you, <laughs> One more time? You just bailed on me there. Oh, man. Okay.
7: Caught me snoozing.
6: Uh, snoozing and losing <laughs> right here, live on the Mike Novak Show on Q4 Radio, otherwise known as... Arr, arr! Pirate Radio! Arr! arr. Hey, welcome! Uh, this morning, uh, it's 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 kind of like uh, the rest of the mornings we've had for about four or five days, right? And of course, we will ask Rick DeMaio about that. But I'll tell you something, Peggy, uh, who didn't say one more time. I was out in Oregon, Illinois. As you know, I went out to see the, the, mm-hmm. the good folks at Happy Leaf LED, uh, Inc., and got one of their LEDs, another one. I already had one of their LEDs, and I, uh, I appropriated another one and some plant material. Just all the stuff you need to grow. I have to show you the video I took.
7: Okay.
6: Uh, Victor Zadere, uh down in his basement uh, where he's got the grow lights. He's growing a pineapple. You saw that. I posted that, that on, on Facebook. Facebook. He's growing a pineapple indoors with LEDs. How cool is that?
7: That looked amazing. It
6: it does. It is amazing. And he, and he and he had this um what's the spinach? Uh begins with an M and I can't remember. It's a special kind of spinach, a viney spinach. Now I won't remember. Maybe if Kathleen's listening cuz she wants some. Well, she will send me a message on that in various what some shape or form she'll send a message. But so he's growing all this stuff indoors and I and I appropriated uh, more grow lights. Got you a grow light. Thank you. Uh, but the coolest thing, I, from what I can figure out, is that the day we were there, it wasn't drizzling. We actually had some sun.
7: I know. I was looking at the photo, and you had sunglasses on, and it looked sunny out there. And I, I, I was sitting there. That was the first day I had put socks and boots on, and it was going. It's drizzly. It's cold. And Mike's standing in the sunshine.
6: Yep, that's the way it works. But uh, you know, it, it actually was a little. There was a little cloudiness there. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, the cl- the wind was blowing and the clouds were going in and out. And we had some sun and we had some clouds. Mm-hmm. But then I find out that all it's been doing in Chicago for four days is drizzling. And I yep. went, wow, I actually escaped that for a day. Yeah. How cool is that?
7: Although driving in this morning, there was this really strange kind of yellow-white orb coming up in the east as the clouds parted. And then the clouds came back.
6: And they were all yellow. Malabar spinach. Sa- snappy J dog. Give her a ding. Snappy, you know what you're going to get for that? I am giving you a um, Marshall strawberry plant. I was Ooh. going to give it to her anyway, but uh, thank you, Snappy J. Malabar spinach. Um, Victor and Polly had this amazing pot, and they were growing Malabar spinach up. It, it was this huge plant, and he said, here, have some. You know, Take a little leaf off. Eat a little leaf of Malabar spinach. Um pretty amazing stuff. I think if if you see it, you want to do it. That's that's what you want to do. So, uh but that uh that's neither here nor there and it doesn't have a whole lot to do with today's show because um we got a ton of people on the program today starting with Rob Greenfield, the dude making a difference. Uh Rob, I know he's listening right now on the Skype Rooney and uh we will get to you in just a second. Um he um <laughs> He's having fun in New York City, in Nueva York. He's
7: gaining weight in a new way.
6: In a new way, a new way to gain weight and lose weight, conversely, because you've got to walk all that around. The point is, he is wearing all of his garbage, his trash. He has this uh, program called Trash Me. Uh, It's a project. And... uh, you might remember Rob Greenfield back when I was at Progresso Radio, and I put a photo of that on my blog this week. Go to MikeNovak.net. Read about this week's show. Scroll down, and you will see Sarah Batka and uh, Lisa Albrecht and Rob Greenfield without his shirt on because uh, so, he came He was peddling across the country, and he, uh, at the, this was in 2013. It, 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 it's amazing that it was three years ago. He was on his Off the Grid Across America tour and he cycled 4,700 miles on a bamboo bicycle mm-hmm. using uh, the energy around him, uh, uh, clean energy, and uh, it was a pretty amazing thing. And that's the kind of stuff Rob does, all right? He's a dude and he smiles a lot. <laughs> he seems to be smiling all the time, except I saw, I saw the, uh, the, the thing he, he, the TV show that he's doing. Uh, for the Discovery Channel about traveling across Mm -hmm. Central and South America. He wasn't always smiling in that. We'll ask him about that. Uh, Anyway, Rob Greenfield's here in just a second. Uh, At 9.30, right after 9.30, Southside Occupational Academy. Now, we met them, uh, these wonderful folks, uh, at the Advocates for Urban Agriculture Soiree. Earlier this year, and I bought, and you bought. I bought as well. Yeah, we both purchased these wonderful things they made at the school. They are uh, for your plants. They are markers. The you know usually you you get a popsicle stick and mm-hmm. you take a, a sharpie and you write the name of the plant. And two
7: weeks later, you can't read it. You
6: can't read it because it's all melted and running. <laughs> These are glazed and a and beautiful designs. Little wedges you put in the ground, and they say broccoli and cauliflower and
7: charred on mine. charred
6: in mind. Yeah, and uh, what did I get? I got I can't remember what I've got. I've got three of them, uh, and I'm going to get more.
7: And there's a cute picture, but, of but, you but that's and, just, and a couple of the teachers on the, the block side. That's right,
6: and two of those teachers are here today: Regina Hawkins and Marissa Menker, uh, and, uh, and 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 making those kinds of things at school are just the beginning of what they do to help special needs students and we will talk to them at 9 30. Then this is something else that Rob would be interested in at 10 o'clock there is uh, a summit this Tuesday at the Chicago Botanic Garden called Active by Design Summit Uh, and the idea is and the article you sent me from the New York Times was really cool because it sort of lays it out. Mm-hmm. Basically, we've designed ourselves as a society out of being healthy. This is what we do. We create elevators and escalators and, and, and anything we can use. Delivery
7: trucks, Amazon, and uh, no Drones. D- drones.
6: D- drones that deliver your packages. So
7: you don't have to leave your house. You
6: don't ever have to move. You just sit there and get larger and larger and larger uh well some people are fighting this some engineers are fighting it and that's the idea of the active by design summit so we have a bunch of people ann nagel md she's one of the coordinators of the summit um she's with go green will we have beth drucker from go green will we have nancy wagner from the active transportation alliance and we have one of their key speakers mark fenton um who's nationally known he's uh uh, adjunct associate professor at Tufts University's Friedman School of Nutrition, Science, and Policy. So all of those folks, not, not necessarily crammed in the studio, but they will be here uh, at uh, 10 o'clock to talk about better ways to make yourself healthy. Well, ways to make yourself healthy because apparently a lot of us are not doing that.
7: And how to redesign our communities for that. Yes,
6: to, Yes, to make us walk. To make us ride our bicycles.
7: Or to let us walk and ride our bicycles. That's
6: true. You sent me a, a photo, and I used it, a photo of, uh, and I'm using air quotes here, a bike lane in an unnamed suburb uh, with a big old chunk of something, asphalt in the middle of it that could really
7: Yeah, I was driving make back it from, rough. Yeah, I was driving back from Vegan Mania yesterday, taking that road that goes along the lake, and... Um, Past that, hit that, the brake, That Sheridan turned road, around, that yes, road? That would be Sheridan that, Road. That yes. would be Sheridan Road. Except that was only one of them. On the other side of the street is a photo you didn't post of the bike path going into road construction.
6: <laughs> really? Let's divert the cyclists into road construction. You know, one of the things I've noticed uh, having ridden my bicycle around is. The center of the highways and the roads tend to be smooth, and then the sides is where all the junk is.
7: Yes, and, where you're and, trying to ride your bike.
6: Right, where the cracks and the brakes and the pavement and that sort of thing. So, uh, And Rick DeMaio Weather at 1045. We'll ask him why it's been cold and drizzly for four days, uh, and we will blame him for it. Uh, but I have to be kind to him because his Wisconsin Badgers lost to my Michigan Wolverines yesterday 14-7. to 7. Wah, wah. wah I don't I don't have a wah wah, and I wouldn't play it anyway because I like him too much. Okay, All right. hey, the
7: cat's won, so I'm happy. There, yeah,
6: yeah, go Northwestern! All right, let us go to the Skypeer Rooney. Rob, are you with me? Yes, I am. Uh Rob, Yay. it's so good to talk. Do you have your shirt on, by the way? I am wearing a shirt. You are wearing a shirt. You know. Actually, that sort of leads into our question uh, or my well one of my questions but I, I will save it for the moment because you've got to describe what you're doing uh, y- you should know that Rob is an activist on steroids not <laughs> <laughs> not literally, of course uh, <laughs> but uh, when you do something, Rob, you do not do it in a small way you just don't.
2: That sounds like an accurate description.
6: Yeah, you have, uh, you've gone, you've gone around the world on your adventures, and they're all sort of with the idea that we can have a better planet,
2: right? Ab- yeah, absolutely. They're, all of my adventures are designed to wake people up about different environmental and social issues that we're currently dealing with, and uh, give people solutions on how they can be a part of. You know a part of a a world that's more sustainable environmentally friendly and more socially just but the point
6: here all right the or or at least my observation and i'm sure other people have observed this about you as well rob is that you do things that the average person is not going to do i'm sorry they're just not going to get on a bamboo bike and ride 4700 miles uh and do it off the grid
2: all right that's correct.
6: Yeah. And and I admire the fact that you can do it. How does that translate to the average person? I mean, you're out there doing stuff that nobody else can possibly do simply, not just because of health matters, because, but because they might not want to. They might think yeah. it, it's
2: crazy. Exactly. So what I do is I take the concepts that I think are really important to, you know, for individuals and all of us to adapt into our lives, but I do it in a very extreme manner to draw massive attention to it, so that I get mainstream media and really get people that don't normally pay any attention to the things we're talking about, whether it's growing some of your own food, shopping at the farmer's market, buying more sustainable products, you know, conserving water and electricity, uh, reducing the amount of trash we create. I do them these things in an extreme way, so that way um, we're able to talk about it on the mainstream media and hopefully inspire people to... Uh, you know, the idea is always here's what you, you know, you're not going to maybe do things as crazy as I am. But here's the little things that you can do to make a big difference in your life and in your community.
6: I guess what you do is something we call E.E., extreme environmentalism.
2: You could call it that. Yeah, yeah I, I definitely. That's an accurate statement, I'd say. <laughs> but it works. I mean,
6: people do pay attention to you. Uh and, and, and I guess the question I was asking is do they then act upon what you've pointed out, what you've uh illuminated by your yeah. your actions.
2: Well that's the reason I'm still doing it, you know, three late three years later after being in studio with you is because um I get positive uh, comment. You know, I get positive affirmations every day from people telling me about the small changes and that they're making in their lives. Whether it's you know they're starting to eat more local food, or they've uh, you know started to drive their car less and they're riding a bike more, or um, you know they're don't going and doing trash cleanups from the beach, or just things like that. So you know, a lot of times it's small things. But then I also get messages from people that are aspiring activists, and um, they say, you know, this inspired me to um, start this Facebook page that's all about educating people on uh, plastics or things like that. So it's a combination of people making little tiny changes, but also inspiring people to make bigger changes and uh, be vocal about it to, to really uh, affect positive change out there.
6: Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, so let's talk about your latest, uh, and then we'll, we'll even get into some of the other stuff, but the latest... Is called Trash Me, baby. <laughs> uh, you have to put baby on the end of that. Uh, and uh, you are wearing, uh, folks, literally, you got to see the video, which I've linked to at Uh Rob is literally wearing all of the trash he creates for 30 days. What day are you in it right now?
2: Today is day 14, so tomorrow's the halfway point.
6: And how do you have any idea how many pounds of trash you're wearing right now
2: so yesterday morning was thirty nine so it's probably up to about forty two so i'm average I'm creating three pounds of trash per day on average is what it's coming out to be
6: which is actually a little less than you anticipated
2: yeah, so the average American creates four and a half pounds of trash per day and i was you know my plan was to try to simulate that, but I quickly realized that rather than trying to So much simulate to create the exact four and a half. What I'm doing instead is I'm just trying to live like the average person. I'm not going out of my way to try to create exactly four and a half. Instead, I'm just shopping like the average person does, eating like the average person does, and just kind of going about the average, you know, the normal way of life that most people are accustomed to and seeing how much trash that's personally generating for me. And right now, it's about three pounds a day, which is about. I guess a third less than what the average person produces, but you know the thing is, I don't. A lot of things that uh, add up are people who who have yard waste. uh, You know that's a big one, or people who have you know a baby with diapers, and so I don't have a I don't have some of those sorts of things. Uh, Uh, But I am.
6: But I I, wanted to to get your idea of what. (laughs) You keep saying the average person, I, I, I want to know what your idea of the average person is. What does the average person in your mind do?
2: What are they buying? What are they doing? Well, so so how I'm kind of doing that? so the the main reason I say average is just based on the EPA statistic that the average person in the United States creates four point four pounds of trash per day. So that's really what I'm you know that's really what I'm basing it off. And obviously, in you know in, in, in reality, every human being's tra- every human being and every human being's trash is unique so there is not exactly so much of a clear picture of the average but what i'm doing is instead of you know like for example 99% of americans are not vegetarians or vegans so for, so for the month i am also not a vegetarian or vegan like i normally would be um, and then most most people when they go to the grocery store they buy packaged foods like things in boxes and bags and cans and things like that rather than what I normally do is I eat uh, you know, an unpackaged, unprocessed diet. So I'm just doing things. Also, the average American eats fast food once a week, which obviously fast food has a lot of packaging from it. Another thing is that the average person... Wait, wait, wait
6: i got to stop you there. Only okay. once a week? I don't... Where did you get that statistic?
2: Yeah, that's what I read online. I expected more, but everything I've been able to find online is that the average person only eats fast food, fast food about once a week. But I did expect more.
6: Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Hey, hey, maybe we should give the average American a ding here. uh, uh,
7: They get that ding, though, not the beer ding.
6: Not the beer ding? Okay. They only get a regular ding. All right. (laughs) Uh, You know, I, I I suddenly have hope for humanity, Rob.
2: Okay, maybe I gave you some false hope though. Don't don't <laughs> count on it.
7: Well, they might only have fast food, but they have a big pizza box 3 days a week.
2: See, that's the thing. Like you you have your um you have your uh you know, your frozen pizzas and things like that that have a lot of packaging. The other thing that I'm doing is that the average person in the United States wastes 20% of all food that they purchase. So I'm also wasting 20% of all my food. So that's what I mean by average so it's, you uh, so you
6: are you're only eating 80 percent of the banana and then uh the rest putting it and, and and folks need to know he's wearing this uh food and the the, the waste actually the waste uh that he produces uh in plastic which uh, he's got you've got strapped to you somehow you've created some sort of um baggies that you w- wander around in is that right
2: yeah so this um I, you know that challenge is so in a, in a month the average person creates 135 pounds of trash, so it's it's no light business. It's you know it gets pretty heavy. Um, so I had to have a specially designed trash suit. Um, and this woman, Nancy Judd, her business is Recycle Runway. She makes eco. She's, it's called eco couture fashion out of wasted materials. So I I hired her, and I'm working with her for this and. She designed this suit. It took her 125 hours, but it has all of these clear pockets that expand or, you know, they expand out so that I'll be able to add more, um, you know, trash as I go. And it will – the idea was, you know, the whole idea is I got to make it – the visual is what – the whole idea is to create a visual so that people can see how much trash that they're creating and uh, so it's all about, like, setting it up in a way where – where people can really see the trash Mm -hmm. and relate to it and visualize it.
7: So how can I ask this, Rob, other than, so how are you keeping keeping yourself fresh? Let's put it that way.
2: That's a good way to put it. (laughs) So how that works... Raise your hand if you're sure. (laughs) So, yeah, how that works is um, all of... You know, anything that's at all dirty, I clean before putting it on. So, all food packaging and things like that. I'm very careful about not getting the things messy in the first place. But I, so I clean everything that can be clean And the other things I'm putting into triple Ziploc bags so that there's no way. So, food waste, for example, goes into, you know, triple Ziploc bags. So, there's no way it'll ever uh, spread uh, or anything like that. And then underneath the suit, um, I can wear different clothes every day, which I can take off and clean so that the suit doesn't actually get sweaty and, and dirty. And so. that leads
6: me to the question I was going to bring up earlier. And by the way, we're talking to Rob Greenfield, and you can find out more about him at robgreenfield.tv. All the stuff is there. Do you sleep in this stuff?
2: <laughs> so my original plan when I first came up with this project, was which was actually about two years ago, was to wear it for every waking moment. So I'd put it on the moment I got out of bed and take it off uh, only before going to bed. But I realized that that just wouldn't have been manageable. I'm only 14 days in, and it's hard to just move around. I you know, already having a little, little bit of leg pains. So yeah. what I'm doing is I'm only wearing it um, everywhere I go. So as soon as I'm you know, ready to leave the house, I put it on. I might be out for seven hours that day, and then I uh, take it off when I get home.
7: And then, what are you going to do with the suit when you're
2: done? Is <laughs> this
7: become a traveling exhibit?
2: I will. So um, I will probably put on the suit here and there for public speaking, going to schools to talk to kids about how much, you know, trash we create, and and presentations like that. And then in 2018, um, Nancy. Uh, from Recycle Runway has an exhibition at the Atlanta airport, so it'll be up at the Atlanta airport for 2018. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it'll it'll live on. It won't actually. Why uh, at the, why, why the, the Atlanta
6: airport? You're doing this in New York City.
2: Maybe he likes Delta. Um, <laughs> it could be. It's because uh, she already had something set up there. Oh, so okay. She, she just had an exhibition because she does a lot of different trash fashion, and she already had an exhibition, so she's including this and in that.
6: And, and, you know, the suit, when you're in it, and again, I I, I urge people to go take a look at the video because it's thoughtful, thought-provoking, but also funny. And, and I'm sure that's part of what you're doing. It's humorous. Yeah, uh, it, absolutely. It, it treats our trash in a humorous way while calling attention to the issue. You look like uh, an astronaut from some <laughs> bizarro world, all right? That's all I can say. It's, it's weird. It's, it's, you know, you need a helmet. Uh, some kind of helmet as well, I think. But you know, seeing you on the subway and seeing you uh, walking down the street and people looking at you—it's pretty funny.
2: So then I'm a trashtronaut.
6: Uh, no, whoa! Give the man a ding. All right, you get a beard ding for that one. I was reading some of the comments uh, uh, on the video, and they have to do with I can't believe that uh, you're you're going to Starbucks. What's the matter with you? But that's the whole point, isn't
2: yeah. it? Yeah. So the idea is that, you know, if, if I had all organic foods and stuff like that on there, then the pe- most, most people wouldn't be able to relate to the package, relate to what's on there. But what I'm doing is I want to I'm putting on what I'm doing whatever the average, what, whatever's normal in the United States, so that people will be able to look at it and say, "That's me. That's the trash that I create." So I'm, just, I'm trying to create it to be as relatable as possible. Uh, And like you said, I'm trying to make it also very, very funny and entertaining. And that's for me, you know, as an environmental activist, that's one of the areas where I've been really, I feel like where my success has come from. And that's just, you know, trying to do these things in a way that is in your face. I mean, I'm running around covered in trash. It's in your face. But it's not in a negative or scary tone. So it's like it's more inviting. And it gets people excited to learn and be a part of it rather than have that, bit of like fear or being turned off or something like that.
6: No, I get it. And as I said earlier, and you probably heard it, you're, you're always smiling. Um, (laughs) You're like the most cheerful um, doomsayer I've ever seen. Uh (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I keep it, I
2: keep keep it pretty cheerful.
6: Uh, And, and, and I, and I appreciate that. It's a little jarring, uh at, at times but uh i get it uh but it also this thing leads to some of the other work you've done that i want to touch on before i have to let you go one of them is the dumpster diving that is this is that's a continually part of what you do isn't it
2: yeah i've been doing that for about three years just before last time i came on uh with you guys it's uh You know, of course, the reason I do it is to raise awareness about food waste, um, and that's something that obviously is not going away anytime soon. And it's another one of those visual ways to really get people to to see something. Like, Honestly, people are always excited about dumpster diving, so it's a great way to get people thinking about how much food we waste and uh, get talking about hunger as well.
6: Well, let's talk about that for a second. You say they they get excited about it, but they're horrified by it at the same time. What is wrong with that way of looking at it?
2: The horror, being horrified? The horror,
6: yeah, because you obviously are not dead. Uh, yeah. You did not get sick. Uh, and you have found, you you fed yourself while cycling across America by dumpster diving.
2: Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, the fact is that in the United States, we throw away, about, uh, we waste about half of all the food we produce. The statistics out there, Uh, Some of the most regarded ones say we waste 40 percent, but from everything that I've seen and really all the people that I've talked to, the truth is that it's probably more, and it's it could be half of all the food that we produce. You know, a lot of people when they think of food waste, they think of um, you know a half-eaten plate of spaghetti or you know an apple with a bite out of it. But the truth about food waste is that a vast majority of it is still delicious, nutritious food that's never been touched by. Uh, you know a consumer's hands mm-hmm. it's, it's you know we're talking like millions of pounds of uh vegetables being thrown away at a time that have, that are at better than you'd see on the grocery store aisle a lot of the times so um that's the idea is showing people it's good quality food that's being thrown away yeah i guess
6: i guess the point you're making is that uh it doesn't get sold it goes to supermarkets it goes to other places and is not used. And what do they do? They're throwing it in their dumpsters uh, and often not even composting it. You know, you you could almost make an argument, well, at least it, if it's being composted, it's being put to some kind of good use. Uh, but not even that. Am I right? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Not even that. I would say I, I don't know. I don't have a, a for sure statistic, but it's, it's well over three quarters of all Food, food waste at grocery stores uh, and restaurants is not composted. And I would say it's, it's over 90% is not composted. All right.
6: Let's, so what is the secret to dumpster diving? So there are people out here who would, who would never do it in a heartbeat, and yet you uh, were able to survive on it. There are people who do this. They survive on it. What's the key to doing it smart?
2: So, the key to doing it is getting in your car or, or, or on your bike and going to the grocery store, but instead of going through the front drawers, just going around back, opening the dumpster, and if it's full of perfectly good looking food, taking it home and eating it.
6: Yeah, it's, but, but, it's, but I guess the point I'm making is how do you know what's good and how do you know okay. what might be dangerous?
2: So, what I do is I, I, I would recommend using food common sense. So, first, there's three, you know, there's three, using three senses look, uh, you know, you're first looking at it, then smelling it, and then tasting it. So how it works is you look at it. If it looks totally fine and you can't see any problem with it, then you move on to smelling it. If it smells totally fine and you don't see a problem with it, then you can taste a little bit of it. And if it's not tasting spoiled or anything, it's if it goes through those three basic steps, and most of the time you'll see it, it's a loaf of bread that has no mold on it that's inside of you know, two sealed bags, of course, it's fine. So you don't even yeah. have to use those other senses sometimes. But it really comes down to that. If an apple is in a box full of 30 other apples and there's nothing else touching it, you take it home, you wash it, and that apple's fine. So it's, it's really about just, really about once you see it, you'll see like, okay, this stuff's dirty, this stuff's clean, uh, and you'll see that it's definitely still.
6: Okay, so what you're saying is common sense. Use your, is, com- use your common sense.
2: Yeah, it, uh, it is common sense. And that's really what's putting the food in the dumpster in the first place a lot of the times is a lack of common sense in the first place. So you have uh, people throwing away food because it, the date on it says suggested sell-by date and the date's after. But the reality is that's just a suggestion – the food's still good, and if we used common sense, we would know that instead of just looking at a, a number.
6: Well, if Rob, if we used common sense, we wouldn't be continually washing our hands with uh, antibacterial things all day long and setting ourselves up for the Superbugs, ver- super bugs, right? The very thing yeah. that we're trying to protect ourselves from. Yeah. Um, so, uh, one more thing before you go, because. I'm most impressed by the idea that you are, well, three years ago, you were giving away 90% of what you were making. Uh, and now you've upped that to 100%. How does that work?
2: So I live a, an extremely simple life. Um, and that's basically the way that it works. So with my Discovery Channel show and my book, 100% of all of that is donated directly to nonprofits. So in the last, what, so basically, since I started doing any of this stuff, it's been 100% has gone to different environmental nonprofits that are doing, you know, things to make the country a more sustainable place. Um, and how did I manage that as I live such a, an absolutely simple life through these different uh, projects of biking across the country and traveling with no money, I've learned that I can get by with with next to no money. And um, but the reason being, I can dumpster dive for all the food when I'm traveling. I volunteer places and stay with them. I don't have a single bill to my name. I'm like right now, I'm just using Wi-Fi instead of having a cell phone. And so, because my life is so simple, and uh, I- I'm able to donate all you know all those earnings to nonprofits rather than needing it to meet my personal basic needs, because my needs are so minimized.
6: Well, how how do you know what to save for yourself?
2: Well, right now I have three hundred dollars to my name, and
6: uh, well, it sounds like my bank account. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm in radio. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you're probably a, it's a little lower in yours. I'm uh, I can admit that.
2: Well, the good news, the, I mean, the, one of the reasons I make this work is because I I also don't have any debts. I paid off my debts, um, you know, a couple of years back, and because I don't have any debts or bills it means that I don't have anything where at the end of the month, if I don't have money, I'm screwed. And because I, so right now I'm traveling indefinitely. When I was in San Diego, I lived off the grid in a tiny house, uh, drank rainwater, harvested energy from the sun for my few electronics, and did a work exchange for having the backyard that I had set up my tiny house in. And I built him rainwater harvesting, raised bed gardens, and, and, and a fence and all sort of stuff. So it's partially just instead of monetizing things, doing thing, working in exchange for things with people, um, trading, bartering instead of uh, – and, and I found that the simpler your needs are, the more that you can exchange with individuals rather than needing to buy stuff.
6: Uh-huh. Do you have uh, a solar converters that you take around with you?
2: So that's what I've done on, on the bike trip across the country where we first met. I had solar panels that charged up everything that I needed, and I've had that on a couple of trips – right now um so since i'm doing this project you know trash me where i'm living like the average person i'm not uh doing that while i'm because we we have an apartment so that we can do this film and stuff like that for this uh just for this month so most of the time i do have the solar panels to charge up my gear but not always yeah my goal is always to try to you know it's always about it's always about trying to reduce our environmental impact as much as we can, but there's you know no, in living in the in the world that we live in, you know it's always going to be difficult to do that, and so I think the key is to do as good of a job as we possibly can, but not beat ourselves up uh, if we don't do a perfect job
6: I think that that that's a good way to end it, yeah, people shouldn't do that it's like they should do their best not everybody can be rob greenfield not everybody wants to be rob greenfield (laughs) uh there's a couple of uh people in the the studio right here shaking their heads no i don't think i want to be rob greenfield uh but that's okay because there's only one rob greenfield you can find him at rob greenfield.tv rob you are welcome on the show anytime so the next and i'm so glad you sent me an email uh, I know you did last year i i was uh, in in internet uh limbo uh, and now we're back live so i'm gl- always glad to have you on my program
2: well sounds good i uh, maybe i'm taking a trip to chicago actually November seventeenth to twenty fourth and hoping to set up uh hopefully do a, uh you know some speaking somewhere so that people can come out and listen, and uh, maybe I'll come back on the show with you guys. I'll Otherwise, tell you what, yeah.
6: Day. What When you're coming to Chicago, let me know. Let's see <laughs> if right. we can set something up.
2: I will do that. All
6: right, our very own uh <laughs> Rob Greenfield. And, and good luck. You got a half. You got half a month left, and I hope it goes well. Keep me posted. All
2: right. Have fun out there in Chicagoland. All All take, right. care, Bye-bye. take care, Rob. Bye bye.
6: Uh, bye. It's the Mike Novak show on Q4 Radio 1680 AM www.q4.org. Peggy? Did you know that
7: Genesis is the Midwest's largest source of airbrush supplies? Find out more at chicagoairbrushsupply.com or artsupply.com. Or stop into their showroom at 2525 North Elston and say that you heard about them on Q4 Radio or The Mike Novak Show. You'll get an extra 10% off their already discounted prices. Genesis, Chicago's only privately owned art supplier, serving all of Chicago's artistic framing and drafting needs since 1946.
6: And Southside Occupational Academy, uh, right here in the studio, coming up next. Stick around. This is Mike Novak for Chicago Wilderness in my own Logan Square Wilderness. You can friend a person on social media, but how do you friend a native plant or animal that is in danger of going extinct, like the monarch butterfly or Blanding's turtle or the little brown bat? 12 Animals in 12 Weeks is a campaign to support critical species and their habitats in our region. Friend an animal species today. Go to chicagowilderness.org slash species. Hey, this is Peggy. When I speak
7: at local events, people often ask me, aren't you the Peggy in the Natural Awakenings ads? And that makes me happy, because it reminds me that Chicagoans want to live healthier lives. And Natural Awakenings magazine helps them do just that. Natural Awakenings its the greenest, healthiest magazine in the Chicago area. Each month, we bring you the latest information about health and wellness, complementary medicine, fitness and exercise, raising healthy kids, and even healthy pets you'll find articles about healthy homes, too, including gardening, energy efficiency, and green living. And if you love good food, you'll always find tasty recipes and cooking hints. Check out our monthly calendar. It's full of events to help keep you connected. Natural Awakenings is available in more than 1,100 locations throughout Chicago and suburban Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. And it's free. Or visit us online at nachicagonorth.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more.
2: Looking for a housing investment that can pay big dividends? Remodel your kitchen or bathroom. You'll freshen up your home and add value to it, too.
0: Trust DR Services Unlimited, 847-998-1687, for all your remodeling needs. Kitchens, bathrooms, master suites, and more. Rated A-plus by the Better Business Bureau and recommended on Angie's List. DR is a proud member of Neri. DR provides exceptional quality at a fair price. Contact DR at 847-998-1687 or at RestoreTheNorthShore.com.
6: I guess we'd better wake up because September ended two days ago. So, it's kind of
7: uh, sad, though.
6: It, it always is. I think the saddest, the end of uh, September is perhaps the saddest end of month of the year uh, because you know what's coming next. Ew. And Rick DeMaio will tell us about that later but meanwhile we have good stuff speaking of the summer and the wonderful people we met during the summer one of them is here in studio and one i'm just getting to meet um we have uh, regina hawkins hi how are you
4: good how are you
6: i'm terrific and uh marissa manker Yes.
4: How you
6: doing? is that how you pronounce it now you're gonna have to gonna you're gonna have to get right in, in, in i know you don't want to you're shy and you don't want to get oh. too close to the microphone <laughs> i know good
7: morning. It,
6: it doesn't bite <laughs> uh Pe- she's
7: soft-spoken peggy
6: yeah. bites but not the microphone okay <laughs> uh and they're from Southside occupational academy and we met you guys or uh we met uh marissa at uh the uh advocates for urban agriculture and regina was there were you yeah. did i did i'm sorry
4: um, I'm not sure. I remember meeting
7: Peggy. <laughs> okay. So we may not have crossed paths. Yeah, and and we met Glenna, who's not here this
6: morning. Right. right. I remember, and there's a photo I have with Glenna and Marissa on, on the website. I don't know if you got a chance to see that. So, oh, we'll have to check it out. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Go to MikeNovak.net, Dot net. Uh, but it's so great to have you guys in studio, um, and thank you for all the good work you're doing. Uh, Obviously, well, well, why don't you one of you explain to me the basic premise of Southside Occupational Academy?
4: Well, it it is a vocational school for students aged 16 to 22 who have special needs, and we focus on life skills and job training skills. Um, We're hands on school, so it's not your typical classroom. Um, My classroom are two raised bed gardens and a greenhouse and an orchard.
6: <laughs> really?
4: Yes. And we also have other classes like car wash where they actually wash cars, laundry, dish room. Okay.
6: What, what do you need to teach somebody <laughs> about washing a car? That's what I want to know.
4: Well, you know, our students, uh, they have varying uh, capabilities, abilities. Right. So we, we like to give them the best chance possible for them to have some meaningful job skills and work experiences mm-hmm. for really the options that are available to them.
6: Okay, and and your option is is horticulture.
4: Horticulture, that's right, um, and and
6: that's that's kind of the connection here to this show. Right, you're teaching. Uh, your kids there, and how old are the students? Uh,
4: Sixteen and twenty-two, so they're young adults. Um, Sixteen
6: to twenty-two. Yes. Okay. Uh,
4: they're young adults. They come to us, but
6: this is a high school, yes. right? Okay. Yes.
4: Um, when you when you have special education services, you are entitled to a uh, school until you are twenty-two years old. Okay. So we take those students. Who are I did sp- not
6: know that actually.
4: Yeah. we're so we take those students who are kind of in between. Uh, sure. Normally they're typically they're about eighteen to twenty-two. They finish their uh, typical high school career. And now we're giving them some extra services and job training before they hit adulthood.
6: Uh, And do you have any sense of the success rate of what you do?
4: Um, I don't have a number on that. I wish I did. Uh, But, you know, we do pretty well. We really try to push in. We have a community and career uh, program that they go out to different sites and they do internships in hospitals and restaurants, Navy Pier, Mm -hmm. uh, the Shed Aquarium, McCormick Place, University of Chicago, Mercy, Trinity, (laughs) and they they get real on-the-job training in these sites. So we do have some students who are fortunate enough to to be able to stay on at those sites after.
6: Marissa, what's your specialty?
4: Um, Growing things.
8: (laughs) Uh, uh, So you're also
6: uh, into the growing things.
8: Yes. Her and I actually share a classroom together, so... um, my specialty growing things.
6: <laughs> now, uh, is it all outdoors or indoors and outdoors? Uh, how does it work?
8: Um, we do indoors, too. So we actually have, like, when it gets cold outside, we have a greenhouse. So during the, during the winter months, we're um, growing things inside the greenhouse.
6: From- is it is it a, a, a greenhouse that was built specially for the school there? Yes,
8: yeah, it's actually it's an actual greenhouse. that's actually attached to the school, mm-hmm. and it's functioning. And we're doing pretty well of getting it actually up in... Going to yeah. a point where we can actually grow things, and they're pretty good now.
6: I mean, what have you uh, been growing this year?
8: Um, this year now we're going to start doing hydroponics. Um, we're trying to do lettuce. Well, we're going to do lettuce so we can actually um, give it out to the local community, uh, food-based programs so they can have extra food because we're in Inglewood. So, you know, it's like a food desert there. So we're trying to get the kids to be aware of, um, you know, food, food that's needed in the community. For those who can't afford to go out and shop healthy. So we're trying to grow now. Produce a mass quantity of lettuce in the greenhouse. So that we can donate into the food bank.
6: Is it? Lettuce a tough sell, though. I mean, it's easy to grow. That's one one of the reasons why you grow it. Right. Yeah. And, as you, and and with your students, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of satisfaction in growing lettuce. Yeah. <laughs> but everybody wants tomatoes, okay? Yeah. And they want and they want green peppers, you know. Not no, not not lettuce so much. I mean, maybe even spinach. Uh, right, you know, right. spinach is. We were talking about Malabar spinach earlier in the show. That's that's a little sexier than <laughs> than lettuce.
4: Yeah. Uh, you know, we're growing, I'm sorry, we're growing spinach as well and uh, greenhouse tomatoes and, and green peppers as well. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, but we found, you know, we have to find a balance between teaching and doing. So it's a learning experience for us as well. Um we We know that we can successfully do lettuce, so we'll go with that for now. <laughs> <laughs> you know our students do do all of the work and and they're most successful with mm-hmm. that so then yeah you know recently we Marissa did research on different types of just greenhouse vegetables mm-hmm. vegetables that are successful, so we just um I just you know. Purchase some seeds, and we're going to give that a try, mm-hmm. and then hopefully go from there. And actually, tomatoes was one of the seeds. Tomatoes was one of the seeds.
8: <laughs> yeah, uh-huh.
6: so over the But over the winter, it's going to be mostly the leafy greens. Is yeah. that it?
8: Yes, yes. But there are tons of recipes that you can actually do with the leafy greens that people don't mm-hmm. know about. Substituting um, lettuce for bread. You can use meat yeah. inside the lettuce, making wraps and stuff like that. So it's very it's a lot of ways... You can use those resources, you know, to eat to help feed
7: people. Yeah, and you're able to teach people how to eat a little healthier that a little way too. In a way, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So, I so mean, it works
8: out pretty well. Yeah.
7: Are you getting help from other organizations or other people at the school on the greenhouse? Uh, well, our main support is the kitchen community. Um,
4: they are right. our biggest yes. uh, supporters. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was their idea to do sort of the mass production of the lettuce uh, and. We haven't said anything official, so we're really just practicing at this point. <laughs> um, I'm but, sorry.
6: What you say when you say you haven't done anything official?
4: Well, it, the idea came up as an opportunity for our school, for our students, to have this be sort of a, a type, a business, a small business where we mass produce the lettuce and actually give, you know, sell it to restaurants. And it was just an idea, but we decided we would go ahead and practice it, see if it's feasible, Mm -hmm. and then if not, you know, we can still donate or have a farmer's market ourselves.
6: So uh, have you lined up uh, any restaurants who are, or at least found some who might be interested in your products?
4: I believe uh, the kitchen community has. Uh, (laughs) You know, they do all the 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 behind-the-scenes things. But, again, this was just an idea that was floated, and we just thought we would see if it's actually something that's possible before
7: if, you know, any chance of committing comes up, so. Yeah, and you'd mentioned to me uh, in the show prep mm-hmm. that you're looking to start a farmer's market next year, so I, I would imagine this is, like, the beginning of that?
4: Yes, yes. yeah, it definitely is. <laughs> it's sort of our goal, our dream, is mm-hmm. <laughs> to produce mass quantities of food and then
8: we can yeah. actually have a farmer's market at the school, mm-hmm. and which is great for the community as well, so...
4: And we have a great culinary teacher, Chef Travis, who, uh, she comes up with these wonderful recipes, wonderful mm-hmm. recipes focused on fruits and vegetables. Um, and she actually, you know, creates them, she makes samples, and then, you know, we print out the recipes, attach them to our produce so, so the community, community can actually know how, Yeah. Um, like Marissa said, to have different ways of cooking and experiencing the produce, so...
6: Okay we've had uh, We've had the kitchen community on this program yep. uh they were on earlier this year, and generally what they do is they have these sort of prefab uh gardens that they move to schools, but you have a, your own greenhouse, so yeah. I assume you don't need their uh their their uh their garden set up in the gardens, gardens and right yeah
4: no we we do have a kitchen community uh, learning garden set up okay, you actually. do okay. yes we do we have uh, outdoors yeah, outdoors yes. yeah mm-hmm. so that um for spring, summer, and fall. Like right now, we're doing our cool weather crops out there until we can get the greenhouse up and running again from the summer break. Mm-hmm. Um, our our cool weather crops are planted out there, as well as our seas- a season extension. We'll be doing low tunnels and uh, oh, nice. things like that.
6: Oh, well, let's 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 talk about that. I mean, you're, <laughs> you're running the whole gamut yeah. here of the different kinds of ways No, this is stuff that the average gardener doesn't often employ, uh, and yet you're teaching these students how to extend seasons with hoop houses, greenhouses, mm-hmm. you know, w- w- plant cool stuff that will grow well in the fall. Um, uh, that's, uh, that's the kind of experience that most people don't have in their own yards. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about the uh, some of the different structures you're using to uh, grow food.
8: Well, the hoop house is what we use outside t- actual tunnel. Um That we use in our brown beds, that's a separate garden we have from the kitchen community garden, mm-hmm. and we just put fall crops out there and we cover it up and just watch it grow throughout the year so the kids actually have a chance to see how it grows up under a tunnel, covered mm-hmm. up during the winter time and actually, the snow and stuff is what gives it the, um, the water for it needed to grow, so we don't water it. it actually gets water from the snow that seeps into the ground and feed the roots. Which mm. That's kind of amazing because they're watching something grow that we don't water. Yeah. It's natural. It comes with water from the the snow.
6: Although last year we did not have a lot of snow. We <laughs> did I, not. Yeah, no. is, and it, and we didn't
4: have yeah. our crops, our winter crops didn't do well. Oh, okay.
6: Can we blame Rick DeMaio for that <laughs> yes, one, too? Yes, yes.
7: Uh, and so from a student perspective, um, especially more special needs, how how do they learn the the gardening and the techniques is it is it part of the classroom instruction is mm-hmm. it something extra what it, are you doing
4: so in the beginning of our classes we have you know our team meetings it's where we go over uh words of the week where we have just basic words too like greenhouse gardens and then we do tools of the week cultivators mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um just learning the language.
6: powdery mildew is the word <laughs> of the week <laughs>
4: It's yeah, pretty much about how I like know, he's well, see, They know, they know. You,
6: you know. you know real gardeners when you say powdery mildew, and and they, they know what that's all about. Not right? a good
9: word. Not a good word.
6: No. And it's two words, but still, it's not this good. This is a slug. Yeah. Oh. Yeah.
4: Yeah. And, and really, but really, honestly, that's, that's the pace we go. You mm-hmm. know, we have our team meetings, we discuss these things with our students, and then... Um, As far as the task, uh, we do modeling, of course. Uh, We have visual checklists that, you know, uh, we create that has step-by-step what they need to do. Uh, We typically use, um, excuse me, real-life pictures that are either of our students having done it before or, you know, something we were able to find off off of Google. (laughs) 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 Um, And then we create these checklists so it would allow our students to be independent when completing. But mostly they focus off of a model, Mm -hmm. watching Marissa and I complete it and then getting to practice it themselves with some guidance from us.
6: You you talk about independence. Obviously, you're you're there to guide, but truly do you just say, "Okay, here's the packet of seeds, there's the soil, go."
8: <laughs> so we're basically like she said, we just we'll model we in the beginning, and then after that we kind of step back. It's mm-hmm. like a shadowing process. So we step back and we try not to say anything. <laughs> <laughs>
6: And it's kind of how. You've way. been through Okay. I, yeah. way, you should have seen the look they gave each other. <laughs> because, you
8: know, you, you, you got seeds and, like, lettuce seeds are very small. So when you yes. say sprinkle, they're like.
6: <laughs> well, the back, that's, like, no. that's a really good point. Yeah. It's like you, you take a packet of seeds, and the, you, like you said, they're tiny, and if you just dump them on all in yeah. one pile, you're done. Right. And, yeah. and nothing's going to happen.
8: And then we're in the back like.
6: <laughs> 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 but oh, so at that point, okay, let's let's use that as an example. Somebody takes that seed uh, lettuce packet and, boom, dumps it in a pile. What happens next with one of you?
4: Uh, normally, you know, at that point, I'm like, okay, well. It's nothing really we can do. You can't dig them out. Um, I, I try to... You could, actually. I mean, you could take you know, it.
6: If it's me, I'm sifting through there and I'm trying to save some of those. And then You can still pinch pinch the top of that pile and move it around, yeah. you know? Uh, well, it's true, but, you know,
4: it's kind of done, so then I'll at that point maybe give them a, a prompt to sort of identify what maybe they didn't do correctly, or or I'll mm-hmm. prompt one of their peers who's a little more capable to step in and uh, guide them as well. Um, but, you know, I, I kind of have the attitude. Well, if it happened, it'll still grow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Marissa's so kind of like, like, oh my yeah. goodness. <laughs> we got to say,
8: see, It would yeah. be really <laughs> intensive gardening.
4: Yeah, <laughs> you know, and then of course we'll go back again the next day or the next lesson mm-hmm. and we'll be sure to model it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Be sure to, to see if we, you know, go step by step while they're doing it to make sure they're doing it correctly. Mm-hmm. So um, mm-hmm. it's all about just, you know, reteaching. Um, and just slowing things down sometimes, and right. and that's what we do. And usually, usually they always eventually
8: end up getting it. Yeah,
6: yeah. Even even, even <laughs> the I rest of it. us, yeah. even me, even I get it eventually. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I figure these things out.
7: So, what would your ideal be for this program? Where's it going? I
4: ideal. I definitely would like to do our own farmers market. We were fortunate enough to get our own bees, honey bees.
6: Um oh, so you got bees there now, yeah, too. Yeah,
4: nice. and we just had our first delivery honey. of our honey uh, from the corporation that, that sponsored us and gave us the bees. So, um, Do
6: you have the students work the bees, or do you have them watch somebody work the bees?
4: <laughs> um, I think they more so watch. watch Glenna yeah. is yeah. the head of the bees, honey bees. Unfortunately, she's not here, but it's more so them watching uh, for now. Um, I'm sure we'll hopefully be able to get some of our more capable students to to, you know take control mm-hmm. of that at some point um but we're still in the learning process because we've only had them since june mm-hmm. and we're also on track to hopefully get some uh chickens chickens and ducks <laughs> ah, <cool. laughs> so i'm hoping we'll have fresh eggs right. honey our produce. produce um we have a wonderful art teacher katie radomsky oh, yes. who was at our farmer's market that we participated in and she has some student-made art pieces that people just love
6: Pieces that you bought, you know, well, that, And that's <laughs> where I was, yeah. was going to go next, is like, yeah, say, yeah how, how did that all come about?
4: Um, she, she's in the classroom next door. Yeah. Uh, she made some ceramic garden markers.
6: <laughs> and there they are. There they are. There's yeah. the photo. There they
1: are.
4: Nice. <laughs> 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 she, she made some for our gardens. Uh, we, unfortunately, we had uh, issues with vandalism this summer, so we didn't put them out.
6: Oh, what a shame, I because I mean, they're, they're really so beautiful. Right. Yeah,
4: so, well, we, we didn't put them out, so they were saved. So then yeah. I was going to the farmer's market, and I just had this idea, like, hey, why don't I just bring these with me? Then I called Katie over the summer, and I said, hey, do you have any other art you'd be willing mm-hmm. to you know, show, and then she came in and pulled some pieces, and we set it up, and it was actually a pretty big hit, and that's everything's so made it by sounds, our students.
6: It sounds, and there and students make that. Yes. Students and make they that. And they glaze them and yes. Yes. do the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, you could make some money on those things.
8: Yeah. Well, <laughs> well yeah. that would be the ideal uh, situation, and then, and everything that we made goes back into the art program and to the horticulture program.
1: Mm-hmm.
6: So split it up. A little yeah. bit of art, a <laughs> <Yeah>. little <laughs> yeah. bit of horticulture. Yeah. 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 Right. yeah,
4: that's that's pretty much what we did, and... You know, she has some fantastic stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh,
7: now this is a, a CPS school. Yes. yes. But do you guys do fundraisers, or can listeners help if, yes. if they want to get involved? If they want uh, to donate,
8: yes. Come by, volunteer. <laughs> we
7: take <like>, everybody, everybody
8: <laughs>
4: especially in the summer. Yes, summer is really crucial. Where,
6: uh, who and who do they contact?
4: Uh, they uh, me.
6: <laughs> <Yep>. Okay. <laughs> Regina Hawkins.
4: Regina Hawkins, yes. And
6: and how um how how can they do that?
4: Uh, by email will be best. Uh my email uh is rghawkins at CPS.edu. So R G H A W K I N S. Or if you look up Southside Occupational Academy online, you can go to there's a teacher or staff directory page, find my find my face or my name, Regina Hawkins. <laughs> and then it'll it'll link you to inf- phone information as well as email information. So R.G.
6: Hawkins, whoop, oh, not what, yes. Oh, you've got it. <laughs> She's already got it written down. She's already oh, got it. Okay. <laughs> All right. in, just,
7: in Regina's handwriting. Just, in my handwriting. In my lovely handwriting. show
6: me up again. <laughs> okay. Well, listen, it's what a delight to have you guys here yeah, today. Thank you so much for having us. Great. Well, and and when, we'll
7: get that up online. Too. And
6: no, when you. you get close to having that farmer's market work, Uh, you get back to us because you you will be back right here on the show. We're going to try to get people over there. Oh, nice. That would be awesome. Because we we know, we've we've talked about farmer's markets uh, in Chicago, and it kind of depends where they are. Some of them are really successful and some Mm -hmm. of them have struggle. Uh, In fact, we're going to have a show about that very soon, about how do you make a successful farmer's market. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe – you guys can be part of that. Who knows? Or, or, or if we get some good information, we'll pass it along to you. Whichever way that well, I works. Definitely
1: appreciate yes. it. Yes. That would be <laughs> awesome.
6: Uh, so <laughs> Regina Hawkins and Marissa Manker from uh, Southside uh, Occupational Academy, uh, and again, that uh, website is southsideacademycps.org. If you want to write to Regina. And help her. You've got the, uh, what is what is that, Peggy?
7: RG Hawkins at cps.edu.
6: Uh, so there, wh- okay, now let's make sure I've got the right thing <laughs> up. Here we go. All right. Thank you, guys. And uh, I hope you. we see you thank soon. Thank
4: you very thank much. much. Thank you.
6: You're listening to the Mike Novak Show on Q4 Radio. Stick around for the second hour. We're going to get on our bicycles and get out <laughs> our, our, our walking shoes and see what happens. Captain's log, Stardate 42326.1. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life
7: form.
0: Mr. Worf, status report. Inexplicable, Captain. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus.
6: That is incorrect, Mr. Worf. Asparagus officinalis, or killer asparagus, was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak.
0: Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work.
6: Mike Novak was one of the smartest, funniest people in the horticultural world of the 21st century.
0: Sound red alert. Shields up. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He
6: has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Edgar Allan Poe.
0: Edgar Allan Poe, author of my favorite children's stories.
6: Captain, I am attempting to access a copy of the masterpiece. Hmm. It seems to be available online at aroundtheblockpress.com.
0: Aroundtheblockpress.com. Aroundtheblockpress.com. Yes, Mr. Walt. Yes, Captain. Around the blockpress.com. How many times can I say it?
10: Good afternoon, gentlemen. I am a Hal 9000 computer.
1: I became operational at the HAL plant in Urbana, Illinois on the 12th of January, 1992. My instructor was Mr. Langley, and he taught me to sing a song. If you'd like to hear it, I can sing it for you.
10: Yes. Yeah. I'd like to hear it, take Sing it for me.
1: It's called... Daisy. Daisy.
3: Daisy. Give me your answer, too. Welcome back to The Mike Novak Show, I'm still Chicago's only locally broadcast crazy. deep green gardening and environment program. Broadcasting live every Sunday from the Genesis Art Supply Building on North Elston Avenue on Q4 Radio and at mikenovak.net. Here he is again, Mike Novak.
1: Oh, my.
6: Do you have any idea what this is?
7: I know what it is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's Hal. Yes, 9, it's 000. Hal. Yes. You no,
6: know, I had to play that because um, of our next guest. And i you didn't hear what just played because you don't have your headsets on over there. Um, But I I played uh, Hal 9000 from Mm -hmm. 2001 A Space Odyssey singing Daisy. And the reason is it's because the end of it ends with a bicycle built for two, uh, which sort of takes us vaguely into the realm Mm -hmm. of our next discussion. We have, okay, who's Ann? Where's Ann? Hi, Ann. Ann Nagel, MD, uh, is one of the coordinators for uh, the Active by Design Summit, which happens this Tuesday at the Chicago Botanic Garden. Um, Beth Drucker, uh, is there and she's, uh, with Go Green Wilmette and one of the coordinators also. And Nancy Wagner, uh, is, uh, the outreach manager for Active Transportation Alliance. Uh, and you guys are going to have to move right into the microphones when you speak. I know you're, you're kind of sharing here. Uh, welcome to the show, first of all. And, uh, um, you guys must be pretty excited about what's going to happen on Tuesday.
3: Very much so. It's, um... We're really looking forward to the partnership that we've created and um, the attendance we have coming.
6: Yeah. Do you you have any sense of how many folks are going to show up at this thing?
9: I'm sure we'll have 100 people at the presentation on Tuesday from Mm -hmm. 1 to 3. But we are also having five separate walk audits in five different communities, and we expect we'll have 10 to 20 people in each community on those walk audits.
6: Walk audit. Okay. What's a walk audit?
9: A walk audit is an opportunity to bring village leadership
3: and stakeholders, including park district, um, health department, the village mayor, village president, trustees, to walk a a corridor in the community to evaluate opportunities to, for biking and walking. So Uh we'll be doing these with Mark Fenton, who does this across the country.
6: Who we're going to bring into the conversation in just a couple of minutes here. Um, and, um. There's a lot of. When I wrote my blog yesterday about uh, this event coming up on Tuesday at the Chicago Botanic Garden, um, I was looking at an article, a wonderful article that uh, Peggy sent me in the New York Times about how we've basically designed our world so that we're we're doing everything except getting exercise and making ourselves healthy. We have gone out of our way to create a society where you don't have to walk. You, you know, the only way you have to move is it's, you know, at airports with those those people movers, um, which kids love and, and, and people with, with lots of luggage love too, but you, you can actually get around okay without them. Um, but that's the kind of thing we do. I've always thought they were just sort of goofy myself, Um, uh, and now there are probably studies that show that I'm the goofy one about (laughs) it. I don't know. But so we have to backtrack here, don't we? We have to kind of do a pivot and go, wait a second, we've been going in the wrong direction, um, uh, and it's time to make our cities uh, more accessible, to uh bicycles and to walkers and that sort of thing i i i i'll give you a classic example if you if you travel down let's say randall road okay um on the far western suburbs or what's the other one lagrange um and they have all these mega malls along the way what's the one thing you don't see off the highway sidewalks they do not exist because the idea is Nobody walks there. There's no point in walking. Uh, and it's kind of disturbing, isn't it? It's a, it's a little odd. So that's kind of where we've, we've gone with our society. So how do we fix that? Who wants to kind of just jump well, in? I, I
3: think um, when you talk to Mark, he'll address like, the four key elements of a designing a community that will attract people walking and bicycling. So um, that's what you're going to learn at the Botanic Garden. And those are key takeaway points. And I probably let him elaborate a little bit on that. What those are, Mm -hmm. but again, the malls were designed that you get there by car, Mm -hmm. and our roadways have been designed to travel. How can we get there quickest and fastest in our 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 vehicles? And there's a big there's a turn of that, and I think people are understanding that it's important that we can get places by walking and bicycling. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, those are the key things. Healthy. um, The government is also saying "Healthy People 2020." They're encouraging us to walk for any um, any of our daily things of about a mile, and bike if it's under five miles to get on your bike and get there. Mm -hmm. We kind of forget that we can do that.
6: Oh yeah, it's it's really it's really not that hard. Uh, And and but sometimes you if you're not in the habit of doing it, you don't do it. Uh, It's very interesting, and and I said it on the show earlier this year and I read something recently um, that really struck me and, and has become my new mantra uh, and somebody said bad habits are hard to break but so are good habits because once you get into that mindset it you know and I and I like to think about that in terms of like bringing your bag to the store or recycling or I guess you could say using your bicycle I should be better about that myself Um, and if I can get into that good habit you you find you do it over and over again it's not that hard
7: yeah and and I think a lot of the habits that we may have all developed growing up the kids aren't doing now I grew up in the city Belmont and Central my high school was in River Grove straight down Belmont Mother Garen at the time now it's Garen Prep and if I wasn't taking the green limousine as we called it I took my bike now, kids aren't taking their bikes. The parents say it's not safe. You, it, there's no bike lanes for them to go in. Or in the suburbs, they're afraid to let their kids take the bike. Um, I know kids that bike to, say, Elm Place in Highland Park. And the, parent, the other parents are like, you let your child bike? Mm-hmm. So they're being raised in this
6: bubble. atmosphere.
7: Yeah, in this the- bubble of you can't take your bike and you can't walk.
6: I'd like to ask How Nancy. How do we break that? Yeah, I want to ask Nancy about that, um, and also the idea that uh, uh, one of the things that I wrote about yesterday was, while Chicago was just voted by Bicycle dot com as the most bike friendly city in America, there's also six people who have died riding their bicycles yeah. in the city. Yeah. That's that's an issue too, isn't it? It
5: is, and and we are we are. Um, Delighted that Chicago is being recognized for all of the progress it's made to, making, to make biking uh, safe and easy because that's the goal of the Active Transportation Alliance. We want people to feel very comfortable and safe and not stressed at all when they go out and take a walk and ride on their bike. Um, and Chicago is making strides. So, for example, the 606 um, mm-hmm. <laughs> which, way. which, which and I've I'm ridden my I'm bike
6: really on there, and happy. I, I kind of feel sometimes like you're taking your life in your hands when you do that, but it's like riding, well, there's strollers, there's skateboarders, there's roller skaters, there's, there's, there's people jogging, there's people walking, and it's like that if you've ever ridden along the lakefront as well. It's like it's it's all shared, but not everybody's on the same page.
5: I'm so glad you brought that up because because the city is reconfiguring the lakefront trail to make a a separate lane for cyclists and a separate lane for for walkers and joggers, that makes
6: sense. You've got to do it makes that. Total sense. Uh, because, uh, like I said, uh, not every you can say on your left, uh, and people go, "What? Huh?"
7: Or they have their earbuds in
6: or they got the earbuds in right <laughs> with which Beth was pointing out there a second ago. Um, so I feel like in terms of active transportation in Chicago, we're in a transitional period. I ride my bike, but I also drive uh so I can see both sides of this thing, and the drivers feel <laughs> they feel like their territory is being. Um, invaded. Uh, and they get chippy. But so do the cyclists. And it's not good if both people are chippy out there. You have to figure out how to share.
5: Exactly. Exactly. And cycling's not going away anytime soon. No. So, so the goal is how do we design our roadways to make it, again, safer and more comfortable for both. And And we, Active Trans, always encourages... Uh, drivers and cyclists who obey all traffic uh, rules at all times and be predictable so.
6: and and, and that 's and that's a key being predictable. Uh, there are a lot of irrational folks out there um, and it's, it's you know even if you 're just driving uh, you're dealing with with that and, and everybody's got their own mindset and are you having a good day? Are you having a bad day? Um, that sort of thing.
7: You brought up the comment about cyclists. Obeying the rules. Um, I know one of the things that I see in some of the suburbs is cyclists not stopping. Cyclists do roll through. Yeah, cyclists rolling through, many of them rolling through. How, how does that fit into making a more active design? I mean, are there ways that can accommodate the cyclist who doesn't want to stop at every stop sign without them hitting pedestrians, hitting other cars, or hitting each other?
5: Well, uh, so cyclists should be responsible. Mm -hmm. For stopping at stop signs, period. Um, They have to obey uh, the the traffic rules. Although
6: I will say one thing about that. If you've ever watched cars, 999 out of 1,000 do not actually stop. They roll through. They come close to stopping, but nobody stops. So my feeling is (laughs) I feel the same way about cyclists. It's like do it smart. Slow down enough so that you're actually paying attention more or less, to the rules of the road. Now, that is probably heresy, but my feeling is the cars don't do it. Nobody does. Nobody actually stops at a stop sign.
5: Well, that's a that's a safety problem. Yeah, it way. is. For sure. For well, sure. It, I
6: mean, I don't know what to say. It's just observation from 40 years of driving that nobody st- My mom, I can remember her, she got a, a ticket uh, for failing to stop at a stop sign, and the kids were in the car, and she got stopped, and she was... Horrified and humiliated because that was my mom. Uh, But she she just did what everybody else is doing, which is kind of slow down.
7: California stop.
6: Uh, Is that what it's called? Okay. Uh, Let's see if Mark is on. (laughs) Mark, are you with us? I am. How are you guys? Oh, great. Good morning. It's it's good to have you uh, uh, on the program. That's Mark Fenton. He's a National Public Health Planning and Transportation Consultant, Adjunct Associate Professor at Tufts University's Friedman School of Nutrition, Science, and Policy. He's an author, and he's going to be speaking this Tuesday at the Active by, Devi- uh, by Design Summit at the uh, Chicago Botanic Garden. So good to have you here. Uh, we, we, we were just discussing uh, full stops and not full stops.
10: Um, right. Is that something that uh, you've addressed in your work? In general,
0: we take the bigger picture,
10: which is to say, let's design the system so that everybody tends to behave better by design. So What you really want to do is build a system where uh, pedestrians, bicyclists, drivers all make better decisions because the system sort of encourages them to. So you're starting to see, for example, signalized intersections, signal lights, or stop signs, being replaced in some places with like roundabouts. Even neighborhoods, for example, they put in a mini circle instead of a stop because so one of the key reasons people don't stop is they say, well, nobody's here anyway. And you, I'm in a little neighborhood intersection. There's no cross traffic right now. Why do I really have to stop? And I'm not justifying the roll through, by the way. Um, but if you design, for example, a small mini circle there instead, it, it urges them to slow down, to take note, but not necessarily come to a full stop if there's no, necessi- no necessity. Um, so in general, the, the goal is let's design a system that operates really logically for everybody, all users and most importantly, safer for everybody, because that's the real big win. Yeah. So what are, what, what is at the
6: uh, the forefront of smart design these days in terms of active
10: transport? That's a great question. There are really kind of four big piles. Pile n- number one is sort of what we call mixed land use. We, we realize that the last 30 or 40 years, modern suburban-style zoning really discouraged people from walking and bicycling and doing what we call active transportation. So you know, having a mall over here and a bunch of housing subdivisions over here and a giant consolidated school over here and what we'd call an office park over here. You know, you had to drive between all of those. Think most of suburban Chicago, for example, right, or lots of it. That's some stuff built post-World War II. We kind of went in that direction. In the modern era, you're seeing people go back and kind of retrofit that. And there's a great demand. People want to live back in town centers. So, uh, and I'm not just talking downtown Chicago, but, you know, even towns around the city, for example, uh, are, are redeveloping their downtowns, right? And they're having, you'll see retail on the first floor with apartments or condos above that. Neighborhoods, you know, the old uh, in town neighborhoods are being revitalized. Uh, some folks are, you know, either rebuilding existing housing or even adding like backyard apartments, a little uh, granny flat over the garage. And you're increasing kind of the net density. So we're creating more vibrant neighborhoods. And then that can support things like the neighborhood corner store, the coffee shop, the little pub. Uh, so you get that kind of neighborhood-scale life, all of which, of course, is within walk-and-bike distance. So that's kind of the first big pile, is mixed land use, having things within proximity rather than spreading it out. And, and it's important, and, you know, you're seeing it. You're seeing it around the region there. The second thing is the network. We were just talking about it, the network of facilities. And that's things like sidewalks, bicycle lanes, multi-use pathways, Um Some of it is, you know, take the old rail line uh, and turn it into a bike corridor or a bike path. Um, Some of it is along waterways and riverfronts and things like that. So, of course, you know, the famous Lakeshore Trail, everybody knows about there. But there's lots of other stuff like that happening around the region and around the country. Create a network so that I have a choice and and I have a safe choice to walk or bike. Don't have to start the car if I don't want to. Um, the third thing is sort of what we would call micro-scale design. At, at a destination, how is it designed? So, again, think about the last 30 or 40 years. The standard mall had a giant parking lot, and the buildings were set way back. And if you stood up as a pedestrian, your final barrier was that you had to play a game of Frogger to get across the parking lot to the front door, right? Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> and, 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 and now we're talking about maybe we should bring buildings back up to the street and you know, and worry about things like street trees and awnings and benches and um, a bike rack. So these attributes of design, a wide sidewalk better than just a three-foot, three four-foot-wide thing that's an afterthought. Maybe make it five, six, eight feet wide, wide enough for a couple of people to walk abreast. Those details of design, even though they happen on the micro scale, have much to do with whether we'll choose to walk a bike somewhere. I often give the example of my mom, who's 78, on a hot summer day in Chicago, um, if she was thinking about walking to a destination, she might be more likely to do it if she knew there was a bench in some shade along the way where she could take a break. Even though a bench sounds like an amenity, right, like an extra, it's really not an extra for a user who might need that break along the way. It's, an, it's a necessity, not an amenity. So we, we say designing for the bicyclist, the pedestrian, the transit rider, you know, for a transit rider, the bus stop, a shelter with a bench, with a schedule, that's not an amenity, that's a necessity if you're going to stand there in a Chicago winter waiting for the bus. Um, so so that's the third thing. And then the fourth thing, it's got to be safe and accessible to everybody. When we, when we say accessible, we mean somebody in a wheelchair, somebody who's visually impaired or blind. We've designed all the attributes, like curb ramps at the intersection, with those tactile bumps that a blind person can feel so they know they're leaving the sidewalk, stepping into the road. That's what those little bumps are there for. Um, You have the countdown timers on the pedestrian signals. I'm sure you've seen those where it tells you how many seconds are left before the don't walk.
6: Oh, I love Um, those. (laughs) I love those.
10: That's right, because it helps you make a better decision, right? Yeah, it it does. If it says three seconds, again, my mom, she wouldn't start trotting across the street with three seconds to go. She's going to wait for the next cycle, meaning everybody's better off. Drivers are better off because you don't end up with pedestrians in the crosswalk at the end of the cycle. So most of these design attributes you find perform better for all users, drivers as well as pedestrians and bicyclists, because you're helping everybody behave more logically, with more information, and more safely. Um, one of the simple things we do for design, you know, for safety, is they're called curb extensions. You probably notice it at intersections often the sidewalk kind of bumps out the width of the parking. And so if there's a parked, you know, a lane of parking, sometimes when you get to the intersection, the sidewalk sort of extends. It's called a curb extension or a bump out. And what that allows is the pedestrian can walk out that extra couple of feet before crossing, before leaving the sidewalk, and stand there. They're showing their intent to cross. They don't surprise the driver because they're not popping out from behind a parked vehicle. Um, the distance is shortened. The amount of time that, again, my mom is in the street as she's crossing is less because she's got an extension on each side. Um, therefore, she's, by the way, less frustrating to drivers because she's not out there in the way and they can see her and she's not a surprise. So it wins for everybody. Um, those kind of design attributes engineers now know, and increasingly, I just installing as a matter of course. Okay,
6: uh, problem solved. All right, let's move on so, to the <laughs> next. <laughs> 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 no, you know, and I say that uh, in jest because um, uh, there, I, I I was out in the uh, far suburbs of Lockport, Illinois and saw a a Menards in a cornfield, basically. Nothing else for miles around. And I go, well, nobody's walking to that store. Uh, So while I hear what you're saying and you say that these things might be changing, there's still a lot of rampant growth going on that we need to address, right, uh, Mark?
10: And in fact, you make a really important point. I would argue that the inertia of the system is in the wrong direction, you know. So we talk about an oil tanker and how long it takes to turn an oil tanker. You know, they start turning miles before they actually have to turn to get into a port. We have this huge inertia because we have a development process that's based on zoning ordinances and laws and even lenders. So, you know, the banks are very comfortable giving a loan to somebody to build that because they know precisely what its payoff will be. They know about 10 or 15 years they'll make back what they lent to, to, to build the thing. Uh, And by the way, that monarch will very likely end up being an empty box or having to be turned over into something else at that time. I mean, we have a ton of first- and second-generation malls, old Kmart and first-generation Walmarts that have been supplanted by Targets and Walmart superstores, right? This is not surprising. I guarantee your listeners, we could drive around the greater Chicago region and take bunches of pictures of those exact things, right? Sort of empty or underutilized malls, malls that are struggling to fill themselves. But the problem is that financial model exists, and so the lenders are ready to lend for it. The zoning ordinances may even ask for it. You know, you don't know there's this esoteric stuff in a zoning ordinance that says how many parking spaces are required for every 1,000 square feet of retail in a new development like that. So that big sheet of parking in front of that Menards was dictated by law, even though you can make a strong case that parking lot will never be full, Right. And It'll generate a lot of stormwater runoff, which costs the developer a lot of money because they have to create all these catch basins and all this underground stuff you don't even see to catch that water. Mm-hmm. Don't, d- Mar- Mark, Mark,
6: is- Mark, don't even get me started on on that right now because <laughs> yeah, that okay. you know but as with me. I, I am I'm totally. I was like, where where are the permeable pavers, dudes? Right. And when you do right. this, and 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 you're actually bringing up a really really good point, which is. How do we get to the developers and the people who are going to put the money down and say to them, you got to do this differently. This this model ain't working anymore. And, right. and, and when these stores uh, go out of business, the buildings still sit there and the parking lot still has asphalt on it and the storm water is running into the sewer instead of perme- uh, permeating back into our groundwater. Um, and, and-,
10: it's a giant, and it's a giant heat island, by the way. Absorbing sunshine every day, and a giant parking lot, a giant heat island, right? Yep. I mean, think about what it's doing. So, the trick I mean, here's what we believe. The, the key is to get an interdisciplinary group, and it's exactly what we're trying to do this week. This is what, Tom said, you know, what these guys are, 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 are working for. Create an interdisciplinary group that includes certainly local advocates, people from health and planning and transportation that think about this stuff, some of the environmental groups. But also folks from economic development that know about the new model, the one I was talking about a moment ago, and know that there are lots of people making really good money doing this new version. Right. So if you've been to somewhere like a downtown Naperville, where they've got the walkway along the river, and where there's a Barnes and Noble right in the downtown in a multi-story building with apartments above, and you know, you know, you know there, and, and I could, you know, just dozens of examples like that. But that kind of stuff's happening around the region, and people are making money doing it. So. The trick is we've got to make that pathway the easier pathway. So what if the zoning ordinance said, this is the new normal, this is what we expect, and it's easy to get a permit to do that. If you want to do the old stuff, giant parking lot out in a cornfield, that's actually you to get a special permit, and we're going to make you jump through all sorts of hoops and do all sorts of environmental analysis and show you the, the, the shortcomings of that. Instead, give us this new model. So we want elected officials, and indeed mm-hmm. we want... Um, you know, planning board members and, yes, developers, people from the private sector, in this conversation. The successful communities have built interdisciplinary groups, have had thoughtful conversations about just what we're talking about, and said, because I'm not an anti-development guy. Indeed, I say, we need housing, right? We're going to all go shop, right? And we need roads, and some of us are going to have cars. I'm not saying I'm not an anti-car guy either. I'm saying let's build a balanced system that gives people choices and indeed reflects what we're seeing is the increasing choice. I don't know if you guys know this, one of the lowest rates of driver's licensure that we've ever seen in 16 to 24-year-olds is right now. So the peak that kids from 16 to 24 had their driver's license was back in 1983, when it was nearly 80% of them. Hmm. Well, back down to close to 65% of kids that age have driver's licenses. My daughter, 18, doesn't have one yet, can, feels no urgency to get one, because she says, Dad, you know, I ride my bike, I live in Cambridge, I ride my bike, I, I can get around, I got transit. Um, and then, you know, even when she comes of age, I'm not sure she'll be a car owner because my older son's got a Zipcar membership. He's has in Berkeley, California, and it's admittedly Berkeley, communist enclave. I get it. You know, I know there are a bunch of socialists out there. But they're being very economically successful as they build a, a system where everybody doesn't have to have a car.
6: Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, that's Mark Fenton, uh, who will be speaking this Tuesday at the Active by Design Summit in uh, at the Chicago Botanic Garden. Uh, Nancy, you look like you wanted to jump in on some of that. Uh, what he was saying?
5: Yeah, very much. Uh, while uh, the old development model or the existing development model is alive and well, and we're we're kind of sprawling out into cornfields, um, which will lead to the next cornfield yeah. ten miles down some very interesting things are happening um, that are new. For example, Chicago recently uh, gave uh, a developer all kinds of incentives to build uh, condos that had no parking. And it was profitable for the developer, and the building filled up. I think it was just you know, pre-sold. Uh, so that indicates there are shifts going on. Chicago has just built 100 miles of uh, of bike lanes. I guess we got
6: like 148 since 2011, and more on the way.
5: So, so there are these shifts going on. Suburbs around the region are building what's called transit-oriented development. Uh, so, they're building uh, housing and shopping near uh, CTA. Stations, A lot of them in stations. my neighborhood, so,
6: Logan Square is like, like ground yeah. zero for that kind of development, and it's caused issues as well some people okay. think that the the poor people are being displaced uh and other people go well no this is great because we're going to have a lot of people near the l and that's great but you know property values are going to go up and there are going to be people displaced and you have to kind of balance that uh and i'm sure mark has opinions about that as well um but you know, yes you, go, go ahead
10: So at, at the national conferences and, and where we work on this stuff there's a lot of discussion around this with being called gentrification, right? Yeah. Take a neighborhood, do all this stuff, and suddenly the values go up and the great people who originally lived there are pushed out. And you can do things in your policies to make sure that that is less of a negative impact. But it's got to be really conscious and right up front. So you can do what's called inclusionary zoning where you actually dictate a certain percentage of affordable rate units um, based on the actual, you know, deed restrictions and so on. You can dictate through the design criteria, that a variety of types of units are being made. So, everything doesn't necessarily have to be a 2,500 square foot you know, sort of fancy condo. You can have smaller units. You can have rent as well as own. You can have micro units, even. You can have or accessory dwellings. So, in a residential neighborhood, as I talked about before, you can let people put garage apartments over their garages. All of those create a greater variety of options and will tend to, even if they're at market rate, at least be at different levels. So a range of those tools can create what we think is healthiest, which is a range of sort of income levels in a neighborhood. You know, a diverse neighborhood is probably the best. Because just creating, quote-unquote, affordable housing in clusters then sort of segregates us by income, which is the least healthy thing, right? What you really want is the people who shop in the store and the people who might work in the store. Even, you know, the folks that work at the cash register and stock the shelves to all be able to live in that neighborhood. That's kind of the most sustainable model. So um, I I would argue that both transit and housing, and I didn't say them explicitly before, have to be at the table when we create that first team. Remember that interdisciplinary team? Transit and housing are really, really important partners because they have a lens toward this. All
6: right. Well, Mark, I'm going to let you go, and we're going to wrap up this conversation here. Thank you so much. Again, Mark Fenton uh, from Tufts University uh and he will be uh, one of the keynotes at the active by design summit uh at the chicago botanic garden uh on tuesday what are the times of that by the way one to
1: three
6: one to three okay one to 3 p.m so it's 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 a couple hours you know it's just like yeah. m- learn a lot in a very short time and uh take it back to your community i guess that's the idea mark thank you so much for being on the program a joy to be
10: with you guys thanks so much
6: uh and I want to get, before we run out of time, to the medical aspect of this, because we have a doctor in the room. Just sidle right up there to the the microphone, Ann Nagel. By the way, Ann Nagel's here, Uh, Beth Drucker from Go Green Wilmette, Nancy Wagner from the Active Transportation Alliance. Where do you practice, Ann?
3: I don't right now. I'm oh, retired, no. so oh. I, my background oh, nice. is emergency medicine. That that, that word, retirement, <laughs> means nothing to
6: me, okay? there's uh, You're in radio. You're in that's radio. right. It, it doesn't it exist no. at all.
3: I'm boarded in internal medicine and emergency medicine, and most of my career was in the emergency room. I'm
6: bored of internal medicine myself, yeah. but, <laughs> that's a, but that's a different story altogether. Uh, but the reason you're involved in this is because it's about making, partly, about making people healthier.
3: Absolutely, absolutely, I think this is the answer. In my career in the emergency room, I took care of people who had chronic illnesses and saw the devastation it creates in their life. And the and to try to fix the, it one at a time is very hard, but if you make a community where it's easy and enjoyable to get out and get that 30 minutes of physical activity a day, it's a win-win.
6: But you can do it in your own home. I've, I've known, I've heard this for years that if you have one flight of stairs in your house, you're going to add a certain number of years to your life.
3: That's true. That's true. And that's why in workplaces, too, we encourage employees to take the stairs. So there's a big movement to get movement in your day, wherever mm-hmm. it is. But how enjoyable it is to get out and take a walk with your loved one. If you have a dog, that sort of segues right into getting your, your minutes in. But And it's
6: unconditional it's un- love from your dog, okay? Correct,
3: correct. So... You might not need a physician as often if you're physically active, you maintain um, a good diet, and you get a good night's sleep. Then you don't need me. So (laughs) two out of three ain't bad, okay, or one out of three, I don't know. Yeah, but the studies have just shown that this is so important. So um, my interest in this is I started a wellness program. I was in the corporate sector for the last 10 years, and I saw how much that changed employees' Um, attitude, presenteeism, their pr- productivity. We we created a policy where we had to go. It was every day people were asked to go out and have a 15 minute walk. That was a break, a walking break. Mm-hmm. And suddenly everyone's walking together. They come back refreshed and and they get their 15 minutes. And if they get 15 more when they get home, they've met their their the, the rec- recommendation.
6: Recess for adults.
3: That's right. There's a big I mean, push you know, and,
6: uh, yeah, is there? Yes. I didn't there know there was a movement yeah. because I it makes me angry enough to have it taken away from kids cuz yeah. I know how important when I was a kid recess was. Right. And the idea that you can just you can lock them in a school for 6 hours or 7 hours or 8 hours whatever is insane.
3: No. But but imagine you know it's very important that they have um, you know their yeah. PE classes as well as kids the number of kids who now bike and walk to school has dropped dramatically since the 60s. Okay,
6: let's address that again because we touched on that earlier and part of it is and and it's in the active transportation model which is safety is always part of that concern especially in urban areas but all over. For one thing, I think we're we overdo it as parents um and as a society we think stranger danger is lurking around every corner and perhaps it is but you're shaking your head no and i feel the same way it's like you can't let your kid ride a bike so what are you going to do cocoon them and put them in a, a pod and, and ship them off to school that way
3: beth you could speak to this with richard louv who speaks mm-hmm. about getting
9: kids out in nature and um what is his number does his say on that well the the first time i heard mark fenton Speak. He actually talked about Richard Louvre. This is a gentleman who coined the term nature deficit disorder. Right. And they referred to a study that shows that in one generation, the roaming range of children, the allowed range that kids were allowed to be uh, unfettered and unchaperoned, had decreased by seven-eighths. So – like by 85%. So kids these Yikes. days are not allowed to be outside running around. And even though they may have a one hour soccer practice that we have found is not the amount of activity that makes up for the fact that they used to be biking all day, Saturday, climbing trees, running around, playing in the street. So, um, <laughs> Mark Fenton and, and my hero, Richard Lou, uh, share that belief that our children are suffering by the fact that we are in a perhaps misguided effort to keep them very, very safe, were actually contributing to poor health.
6: Amen. Amen. Preach it. <laughs> what, what can I tell you?
9: And probably
7: leading to communities being less safe. Less safe, because as you're in poorer health and you're not
5: working and you're feeling worse, and it's a spiral. And there are more cars on the road. Mm-hmm. And every community, Active France, works in every single one in the Chicago area chicago and hundreds of suburbs every single uh parent says the schools are so jammed with cars mm-hmm. at drop off and pick up that you know can we do something about it how can we get safer routes to school it's not just uh, a problem in the north suburbs or northwest or west or south or in chicago so you're saying so. that the
6: number of cars is creating a hazard correct
5: yeah. Absolutely. yikes correct. so for the for the children who do want to walk to school sure. they're navigating through more cars or if they're off. riding
6: their bicycles correct. they're na- na- navigating through cars correct yeah
5: well I'm I'm thinking again in
7: my own community as the high school expanded who could drive to school they added a second parking lot permeable I will add
6: well good for but the, well, how about it well that's we the go.
7: teachers lot oh. and the visitor lot but can now, I take
6: back the ding okay <laughs> but it's
7: permeable and the lights are really low but the students now park all along Green Bay Road from Vine all the way to First Street in Highland Park. And it's just this endless line of cars, doors opening, buses hovering. There's no place anybody can ride a bike there to get Mm -hmm. to school because of all the extra cars.
6: So the one word I did not mention about Tuesday is free, (laughs) which uh, I I need to tell people uh, to encourage them to be at the Active by Design Summit at the Chicago Botanic Garden uh, from 1 to 3 and it's free. Yeah. So you you get all this great information. Maybe uh, you know, you can go out there and change the world. Uh maybe you can just make your family a little more active. Maybe you can influence uh your your legislator or your city councilman or whoever. Um it's it's little steps here. And and but the important thing is steps, walking. So, there you go. And
3: I would just like to say this um CONSEG rep- represents 19 communities uh, in the north, uh, north suburbs and northwest yeah, suburbs. Yeah,
6: okay, explain that. Yeah, there's uh, there's the Beth? Consortium of North Suburban Environmental Groups, or CONSEG. I'm so glad you brought that up. Explain what yeah, CONSEG is.
9: Beth, she this was a group that was started about three years ago. The, we have three main purposes. One is to help each community that's in that wedge, the north and northwest suburbs, to start a community based environmental group. Then we work together to share best practices and become as effective as we can be. And third, we work together on issues that are mutually relevant. Active transportation is a great example. We need to be coordinating with communities on either side of us because connectivity is so important for bike trails. You can't have a bike trail that ends where your village ends. You need to make that connect into the village next to you. And so um, that's one of the kinds of issues that we work on in con- with CONSEG.
6: All right. And and how many groups are are involved in that?
9: We have representatives from about 20 different north suburban communities.
6: Uh-huh. All right. Well, we, we meet
9: we meet every other month and we've also talked about issues like how to promote solar in your community, how to reduce food waste in your community, how to work together with faith-based communities, and it is we encourage anyone to contact us through gogreenwillmet.org. That's a website where you can hear you can learn more about the uh, summit and there's also a link to register. We'd love it if people would go to the website gogreenwill and register for the summit.
6: Okay and Anne, and you're gonna have the final word I, here.
9: I just want to give a big thanks to
3: Illinois Bone and Joint Institute who Oh is my goodness, I'm this. so
6: glad. Let's give them a so, beer ding there. Yeah, All right. They have
3: been just a tremendous partner. I, I um I was so delighted that they were will that they wanted to sponsor this. They Their message is we need to be active, Mm -hmm. and I think they're just showing their leadership uh, and, and they realize that um, this partnership's important, that health is at the crossroads with engineering and design of communities. Mm-hmm. Dr. Shahab will be speaking at the summit as well, and he's going to be talking about a program they've just launched to encourage walking for patients that have arthritis. So you're going to learn some medical things, and you're going to Well, learn that's interesting because about- you would
6: think that's counterintuitive. If you've got arthritis, yeah. the last thing you want to do is walk, but I guess it's the it's first really, thing you want.
3: It's the mm-hmm. solution, and people will be happier and it's just a very good thing so what a p- great partnership
6: wow i think we got everybody in now finally yep. i think that that's all um ann nagel md beth drucker nancy wagner thank you so much and mark fenton uh as well and uh good luck good luck on the the conference uh this tuesday and i hope a lot of people show up
3: thank you thank
9: you,
6: thank you for having us thank you so much um last week if you remember we talked about giant pumpkins on this show if you don't remember go get some ginkgo biloba in the uh, or walk or walk very good i'm sorry i had already turned off your mic it was
7: me echoing in the background yes there you go Uh,
6: go walk uh in the september october issue of chicagoland gardening magazine my editor and taskmaster carolyn ulrich explores the far side of pumpkin decorating based on a tradition that comes from the family that runs Gethsemane Garden Center in Chicago. If you're willing to try something different, you can terrify kids in your neighborhood in a whole new way. On the other hand, just reading my column on the inside back page of each issue usually causes people to lose a couple of weeks sleep. Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, a publication of state-by-state gardening magazines. Go to chicagolandgardening.com. But if you're in other parts of the Midwest or the South, try one of the 21 magazines in those regions by going to statebystategardening.com or call 888-265-3600. 888-265-3600. Spending more
2: time at home these days? There we go. Give yourself some room. Renovate your basement or attic. You'll increase your living space and your home's resale value, too.
0: Trust DR Services Unlimited, 847-998-1687, for your remodeling needs, including additions, renovations, and other home improvements. Rated A-plus by the Better Business Bureau and recommended on Angie's List. DR is a proud member of Neri. DR provides exceptional quality at a fair price. Contact DR at 847-998-1687 or at RestoreTheNorthShore.com.
9: This is Suzanne Malik mckenna for Chicago Wilderness. When you think of our region, wilderness may not be the first thing that comes to mind. Did you know this area is home to more than half a million acres of protected nature with thousands of plants and animal species? Our local native wildlife need your help. Now is the time. 12 Animals in 12 Weeks is a campaign to get support for these critical species and their habitats. Sponsor one today. Meet the species at chicagowilderness.org species.
7: Did you know Chicagoans are getting healthier all the time? Hi, I'm Peggy and I know this is true because for six years I've been publishing Natural Awakening, Chicago's greenest and healthiest magazine. And if you want your message to reach this growing market, you do need to get your business in front of our readers. Why? Because our advertisers tell us that our targeted readers are committed to improving their health and ready to take action. That's more than 80,000 people in Chicagoland who will respond to your message. They're looking for holistic wellness practitioners, integrative doctors and dentists, nutritionists, health coaches, yoga instructors, even home improvement and landscape experts. Natural Awakenings is a free monthly magazine available in more than 1,100 locations throughout Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. Call me today to expand your market and grow your business. 847-858-3697. That's 847-858-3697. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more.
6: All right, let's roll over, Beethoven. I got, and I'm going to have to call Rick in a second here. Why don't I just... As much as I want to listen to ELO, like, all day long. <laughs> Rick, are you there? I'm here,
0: Mike. How uh, are you? Good morning. Good
6: morning to you. <laughs> listen, I um, uh, my condolences to you, but the uh, Badgers put up a heck of a fight yesterday. They're a scary, scary team.
0: Yeah, quite the, quite the defense, and they got a couple of... Um, uh, defensive lineman that most likely in a couple of years will be playing in the NFL, and um, uh, even a running back. But you got you got to get all eleven to play on each side to make it a uh, to make it a, a victory. And clearly, Michigan's got the better team from that standpoint. But. I think you're going to agree. Michigan needs a, um, a place kicker or someone who can put the ball oh. through the upright. Oh
6: man, it's gonna, oh you're hurting him. It's going to come bite us in the butt. I'm <laughs> it's it's going to happen. Well, they did last year. Remember the Michigan State game and that horrible punt that turned into a touchdown and uh, the game was yeah, over.
0: Well, was, I, I think that was more of a bad snap at that point. But uh, but yeah, the kicker should have um, instead of trying to kick it, he just should have took it and 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 laid down on the floor.
6: Exactly, and, and, you, you fall and, down on it, fall
0: on the it's, ball. It's uh, but, yeah, you know, none... if, you, if, if you look quickly, Mike, at the end of the game, um, even though on the Badgers fourth down play, uh, the cornerback or the safety, I don't know which one was, intercepted the ball. Uh, Jim Harbor was like, why'd you do that? Because now you pushed us back 50 yards. No kidding. If you would have batted the ball down, you would have been on the eight yard line.
6: I know it was a really, really dumb play. And. College players do that a lot. They make they do really dumb things, and it's it's.
0: Well, you know, the, the guy's a few years out of high school. He, he actually made a great play, but it was at the wrong time. Exactly. <laughs> well,
6: he was more interested in
0: intercepting the
6: ball, and if he had been thinking and that it was fourth right. down, all he yeah. had to do was knock it down. But oh well.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Essentially, it was it, it was a a, a a fifth yard a fifth fifth yard down forty yard pass play for Wisconsin at that point. If that makes any sense. But um, uh, what what we're trying to make sense out of is whether or not uh, the fourth day, uh, actually Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, fifth day, uh, these clouds are eventually going to leave. And it's the first day where the clouds are actually moving from the northwest to the southeast. So we're on the backside of this massive area of low pressure that uh, kind of snuck in here on Tuesday. Uh, Last week we talked, it looked like it was going to kind of push off to the east, but that didn't happen. And typically when you get into the late summer, early fall season, we get into what's called the, the season of the cutoffs, and that's exactly what this is. It's a big cutoff low that doesn't want to move anywhere. Uh, but it is making some progress today, so this should be the last day of clouds, even then a couple of sprinkles in the last hour, but it still seems like the bulk of this seems to be wanting to push off to the east. So it's been a very persistent um you know, pattern that oftentimes is due to the fact that things just get bogged down this time of year. So, it is what we call seasonal. It's not what you want, but it is part of the part of the nature of transitioning from the warm season to the cold season, and these are the results. Well, you know, it's kind of interesting that you come off
6: a beautiful month like September, and <laughs> and then you get sort of whooped upside the head uh, by this uh, four days or whatever of drizzle and and chilly weather we
7: went from 90 degrees on sunday to surprise on monday and it hasn't gone away
0: yeah and you you, you make a good point peg because even though we had you know beautiful weather last sunday when you get you know temperatures in the you know in the upper 50s and a 20 mile an hour wind and you know rain and even lake effect rain showers which you had on wednesday it, it it really is the best way to describe it, a cold slap in the face. I mean, it really ended in a hurry. doesn't mean we're going to stay there, um, but, but, man, it just, it, it, was, it was a nasty, you know, end to what has been, like you mentioned, a fairly nice September. And, in fact, um, temperatures, even up and through last um, Sunday, we were averaging about five degrees above normal. Um, and, strangely enough, even with the five consecutive days of cloudy, cool weather, only one of those days was actually below normal, mainly due to the fact that our overnight lows mm-hmm. were about eight to ten degrees above normal. Um, so it's kind of weird how how clouds do things. You know, they'll they'll keep you from getting warm during the day, uh, but they also keep you from getting cool during the night. So this is this is kind of like Portland and Seattle weather in the month of November. Very persistent <laughs> <Yeah>. clouds, <laughs> a little bit of rain here and there, nothing heavy, but. Um, you can see why the population of those areas is is, is not over a million people. <laughs> it's, it's tough to get through the fall and the winter.
6: Uh, and I'm looking at your, uh, is speaking of the temperatures, I'm looking at your 8 to 14-day outlook that you sent, and it's it's uh, kind of normal or a little warmer.
0: Yeah, and, and part of that is due to the fact that we still think there's going to be an influence of, you know, the tropical storms and hurricanes moving up the East Coast. Um which could obviously keep everything from moving off the Pacific Ocean into the Midwest. In fact, um, you know, Hurricane Matthew, which just ramped up incredibly fast from a literally a tropical depression on Tuesday to a tropical storm on Wednesday uh, to a Category of Five hurricane by Thursday night. I mean, and this is this is the trend that we're seeing is is the fact that we're seeing these uh, storms literally go from nothing to a major hurricane in almost less than 24 hours. And a lot of that has to do with the heat content of the ocean. Uh, The ocean in that particular area, or we want to call it the Caribbean, uh, is 86 degrees. And even though part of it will interact with the mountains of Cuba and parts of Haiti and the Dominican Republic, uh, this storm is expected to move into actually warmer waters over the um, Lesser Antilles. And those islands, the elevation at best is maybe 100 feet off the ground, off the surface of the the ocean. So there's there's really nothing to slow the development of the storm uh, of Matthew once it moves through uh, the Cuban Straits there. It'll most likely weaken a little bit, but then redevelop. And as long as it takes the path, which it seems to be doing, which is almost due north, even though it may not make landfall on the east coast, you're still going to have, you know, two, three, maybe even four days, Mike, of persistent northerly winds, you know, 30, 35-foot waves, you know, a couple of miles offshore. You're going to have massive beach erosion. So oftentimes people say, well, the track of the storm is now further further away from the land. It should be okay. This is going to produce, you know, some major beach erosion and disruption also to, you know, coastal and ecosystems um, that we continue to see even with Hermine and even with Matthew. This seems to be the the new state of hurricanes: is later, later developing, longer lasting, pushing further north, uh, and 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 more intense. And and this one, obviously, it looks like it's it's kind of fitting right into that role. Uh, and I'm looking at the that map that you sent
6: about uh, Matthew and the path. Uh, it's it's very wide. I, I mean, it's it looks like it's going to go. It, you know, if you take the center of it, it goes pretty much due north, as you said. But there's at least a slight chance that it could veer a little bit east, isn't there?
0: I mean west. Yeah, I, sorry, west. No, no, no. I, I know what you meant about that. Uh, yeah, there's a slight chance it could veer west. And, and this is where um, forecasting becomes not so much what the center of Matthew is going to do, but what the large-scale flow pattern is going to do. Yeah. Because even looking at, you know, like, like a weak trough coming through the Gulf of Alaska, how did that interact with this? Um, you know, this old upper low over the Midwest. Does it kick it out? Does it dig a little bit? It forecasts, um we still haven't figured out how the hurricane interacts with the with the secondary circulation that it's moving into. that That's a really hard thing to do. It's almost like taking um, a large bucket of water um, and and literally putting a rose petal in it and then taking a the fan. And then literally taking an oscillating fan on on low speed and and kind of blowing the air over the rose petal, but at the same time taking the bucket of water and tilting it back and forth about two inches or so. If you use that, you know that 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 visual and that analogy, then tell me where that rose petal is going to be. You know, three minutes from now, it, it could be it could be to the left, it could be in the center, it could be the right, and that's essentially what's happening with Matthew. Sometimes um, hurricanes are locked into a flow pattern. You can see exactly where they're going to go. Um, but typically, the later you get into the season and the further north these go, they become pretty much um, you know, directed by the upper-level winds of the jet stream. But the upper-level winds right now, because we've been in a blocking pattern over the Midwest, at that point, you say, well, why isn't this moving out, this big area, low pressure? That's because the upper-level winds are essentially all the way up into Canada. So our weather here in the Midwest is literally allowing um, Matthew to move northward. So in a sense, is our weather in Chicago having some impact on Matthew? The answer to that is, yeah, in an indirect way. Uh, and then the direct way would be whether or not Matthew gets further far enough north. Will it end up being either pushed off to the east or if something gets over the top of it, will it be kind of nudged off to the west, as you suggested? Um, and right now, it's, it's, it's close. It's almost like the presidential election, although it's more trending to the east, which I think is the general path of what these storms should do. Uh, but at, again, even if the path goes east of the Carolinas, the largest of the storm will have a huge negative impact on the beaches of South Carolina, particularly North Carolina. Uh, and also Virginia and possibly even the southern areas of Delaware, Maryland, and New Jersey. So so the impacts of this are going to be widespread, even though it may not be a landfalling hurricane at this point. So uh,
6: what do you, uh, by the way, folks, it's Rick DeMaio, meteorologist. Uh, sometimes I don't introduce him because he's such a regular <laughs> fixture on the show that, uh, uh, but if somebody new is listening, you should know Rick has been doing this for many years in the chicago area and uh i'm very proud to have him uh, as a member of the team on the mike novak show um have you uh, made any changes in what you're thinking about for the winter just to sort
0: of get a a bigger picture here yeah it's interesting because yesterday i was at the national weather service office um for their fall um kind of winter workshop and i was there with uh, Tammy Sousa from Fox and Andy Avalos from Channel 5 and also Brant Miller um, and a couple of the people who had logged on to, um, uh, you know, kind of remote way uh, through phone patches and computer links. And also there were several people from the National Weather Service. And I actually gave a presentation on the uh, the storm that came through here last November. If you remember, Mike, we had that conversation, I think, a couple of days before. That November 15th storm, I said, I wouldn't be surprised if this is the biggest one we have. You said, you,
6: you nailed it. That was amazing.
0: Yeah, I, I said, I wouldn't be surprised if this is the biggest storm we have all year. And it was. We had 11 inches at, at O'Hare on that day, and we didn't have anything for the rest of the year. But you can kind of see that, that was happening. So, you know, even though you say I nailed it, that was actually an easy one. So I don't really take <laughs> much credit for that.
7: Oh, come on, take the credit, Rick.
0: No, I mean, I, I mean, it, it, seriously, it was it was actually one of those easy storms where you know that you're not going to get anything like this the rest yeah. of the year. Um, this year, though, um, we talked about this extensively, and part of the conversation centered around climate change, which is um, a a switch from uh, an El Nino event to a La Nina event, and what does that mean for the Midwest and this <clears throat> enormous blob of warm temperatures in the oceans across the North Atlantic. Um, And how does the warming of the Atlantic and the Caribbean um, affect, you know, these late season hurricanes? And what we've seen more and more is these bogged down meridional uh, patterns as opposed to more of a zonal effect, which means west to east moving storms. And what does that mean for our winter? And it was really great, Mike, to have, there were, what, 18 meteorologists in the room, and we're all kind of going back and forth, kind of like your political talk shows on what you think is the one thing that's going to be the – the main caveat in this. Um, and we, we all agreed that the winter was going to be very different than last year. Um, most likely was going to start out to be colder. Uh, and typically when you get cold, you have a better chance of snow, but snow is always the hardest thing to forecast. Uh, and we all agreed that, that the pattern that's setting up, which is one of you know large areas of warming off the East Coast and large areas of warming over the Gulf of Alaska – should favor a very deep trough in the northern parts of the United States and North America, and that's probably where we're going uh, at least through the first half of the winter, starting somewhere in the middle of October and going even into November. Um, and then seeing how things obviously develop after that, it's going to be a little bit more, you know, we just have to kind of update things, but that seems to be the trend. And if, if we get a couple of really strong typhoons, that'll actually move across the North Atlantic. We have another one now, a Category 4 typhoon called Chaba, which is going to be impacting Japan over the next 24 to 36 hours. That could actually, if you think about it, you have one storm on one side of the continent and one on the other, you would kind of think in the middle of it, you generally have a trough in between those two large areas of warm temperatures. So over the next two weeks, that seems to be where we're going, even though the 8 to 14 day, as I showed you, does show some warmer temperatures if you notice those warmer temperatures are are kind of trending east of us um and we'll see how again how the tropics kind of have an impact on this but i would not be surprised um if the next two weeks some of these shorter range forecasts are just not very good (laughs) we said that last week really we said that last week with the development of this tropical storm it actually bogged everything down so I think the skill level over the next 2 weeks are, is pretty low, but I think once you get beyond that I, it it's definitely trending towards the coldest start to the winter.
6: Hmm. Okay. Well, let's uh let's give us that uh, near-term uh unreliable forecast.
0: <laughs> no, 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 no. The the near-term the next 4 days is a little bit easier than than the <laughs> the, the mid-range term. Oh, okay. Here we have what's called we have what's called near-term, mid-term and then long-term. Okay. Um So so the midterm is more so everything beyond, we'll say, um, you know, five days. Uh, So the next five days, pretty much, um, you know, we got some clouds over us today. We'll probably end up with a couple of light showers moving through. But 68 for high today is probably not a bad, you know, way to go, being at average temperatures right around 70. It's been sunny and warm for the last three days across the Rocky Mountains. That will eventually get here tomorrow. Um, so, a beautiful day tomorrow, some clouds in the morning, 70 for high, low 70s Tuesday. And then, maybe depending on how this next system comes through on Wednesday, um, the strength of the storm coming through here on Wednesday could actually save the east coast of the United States about 20 to $30 billion. Because if this thing comes through with some vigor, it pushes Matthew off to the east. If it comes through weak, the Matthew will move further west and we have ourselves a catastrophic event on our hands. So oftentimes we talk about the price of weather. We also talk sometimes about how weather can actually be um, kind of a savior here. So if the front comes through with some showers and a couple of storms on Wednesday with a high uh, upper seventies, that should be good for the East coast. That means it's going to kick it off there. And then we get into cooler weather by the end of the week So, Thursday, Friday, and even the Saturday of next week, trending more so into the low to mid sixties. So um, we got some decent rain over the last few days. This was good. It was nice to have it in, in little spits here and there. Uh, but it definitely looks like the next three to four days up to, at this point, uh, rain-free, Mike.
6: Okay. Uh, and uh, let's hope the storm comes through or the, uh, the front comes through with vigor, as you say, so that uh, it push, right. pushes Matthew out of the way. That would be a good thing.
9: Yeah,
0: we'll 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 keep you up to date on that. I'll uh, I'll be sending you information over the next few days.
6: And I appreciate that, uh, Rick DeMaio, a meteorologist and uh, good buddy. Uh, and I appreciate always uh, your uh, presentations on the show. You have a you have a great week, pal. Okay. Okay. See you. Bye, bye, Peg. Nice talking bye. to you. Bye. Okay. Sounds right. There we go. I think we can get out of here. Uh, thanks to Rob Greenfield, the dude making a difference. Uh, Regina Hawkins and Marissa Menker from Southside Occupational Academy. Uh, All the folks from Active Design and the Active by Design Summit. And Nagel, M.D., Beth Drucker, Nancy Wagner, and Mark Fenton. And, of course, Rick DeMaio. uh, Tune in again next week at the same time, same bat channel, all that stuff. You got anything else uh, you want to add? Pick up the brand new issue of Natural Awakenings. Our October
7: issue is out in locations all over city and suburbs.
6: Cool. Go green or go home.
0: Uh, Stadler? Yeah, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much. <laughs>